Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radiology oncology podcast. So welcome to the final bonus episode in collaboration with the MR Linac Consortium. My name is Naman Joka Anderson and I'm joined by fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. We're very excited to share this collaboration to showcase patient experience, clinical practice and research around the MR Linac. So we're pleased to introduce our guest today, Dr. Veronica Delacqua and Prof. Chan Gani, who will be talking about their incredible careers, the Hypothesis Testing Programme and the MR Adaptive Dose Escalator Radiotherapy in Rectal Cancer. Um, morning both, how are you? Hi, hi everyone. Nice to meet you all. And uh, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Really happy to be here. Me too. Thanks for the kind invitation. It's really I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. So Veronica, would you mind by starting and telling us about your current role and how you got there? <laughs> right. Um, my role now is the Director of Medical Affairs um, in, in ELECTA and I am a radiation oncologist by background. Um, I used to work in the clinic uh, and three years ago I decided to join ELECTA mainly for the topic that we're going to discuss today, so the hypothesis testing and research in general. Um, so uh, I had this change of career and what I'm doing right now, my job is mainly focusing on research on the MR Linux, uh, working with the um, MR Linux KOL, so key opinion leaders, uh, so people and doctors mainly uh, from all over the world with exciting ideas that we can, in some shape or form, um, bring to life. Veronica, was that a difficult move going from clinical into industry? Uh, yes, it was a very difficult move uh, for many reasons. Well, at the beginning, I was unsure. You know, I've always worked in the clinic. Um, I did my residency there, so um, it was a safe place for me to stay. And I loved the job. I loved the people. So um, it was nice to be there. But... Uh, I just felt that something was missing. Uh, so when the electoral opportunity came up, I thought it through. Um, the job is really different from from what you do. You don't go to the clinic. You, but um, but I'm happy. I changed, and uh, it took some willpower to do it. And it took some, and it takes some patience because you have to learn basically a new job. Uh, so um, you go from your comfort zone to something completely unknown and you know there is there are not many uh, doctors that do what I do so there are not many people you can learn from you just have to create your learning curve and uh, go step by step try to do things hope that people that work with you are patient enough (laughs) and um, yeah so but uh but I'm still here and very happy of the choice I made. Oh, thank you for sharing. Jihan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your role is, please? Sure. Um, my name is Jihan Gani. I'm a radiation oncologist here in Tübingen in southern Germany. I started my residency back in 2010 and uh, quite early I realized that uh, gastrointestinal malignancies are what interest me most and um, I did a a couple of clinical trials in that field and at some point we 
had a great momentum to to work on organ preservation and rectal cancer, what we'll talk about later today as well, and uh, did quite a lot of studies on that topic. And um, then a couple of years ago, we started to get active in the field of MR-guided radiotherapy and also realized that organ preservation and MR-guided radiotherapy is a perfect match. And yeah, so that's uh, why we're here right now. And um, I'm really excited to share our experience with you. Why did you pick radiation oncology? It was actually coincidence. I was um, considering um, uh, internal medicine, gastroenterology um, towards the end of my, my medical school. And uh, you have to do an elective in your last uh, year of uh, medical school, a rotation for months. And um, I was assigned to, to radiotherapy, uh, which was not my first choice back then, but... Um, uh, I really loved it. I loved the interdisciplinarity, um, the broad range of, of diseases you see. And uh, I have to say that radiotherapy is not too big in medical education in Germany. So many colleagues end up here by coincidence. And it was the same for me, but I never regretted uh, the choice I made. So Veronica, you mentioned... Um the hypothesis testing program. For anyone out there, what is, what is it? Right, uh, the hypothesis testing program, and in short goes with HTP, is the project I've been working on lately, and is a, basically is a request for proposal for hypothesis testing, generating uh, clinical trials that are um, about or on Unity, um, so that are about uh, or on the MR Linux. And the idea is to have clinical trials, so not to have uh, proposals that uh, focus on safety or feasibility or maybe preclinical technical issues, but really to evaluate novel treatment paradigm um, to treat patients. And also to... Um, facilitate multi-institutional clinical perspective stu uh, studies. The thing is that it's one of the main issues for uh, clinical trials is that doing a multi-institutional, multi-country, multi-continental trial is really difficult due to legal issues, uh, contracts, um, and also different type of standard of care. Sometimes they do vary a little bit. So, but to make a trial strong, the wider it is, the better. So uh, one of the main goal of the hypothesis testing program, so one of the main goal of the HTP is to um, facilitate this multi-institutional agreement and collaboration. And with this, we want to uh, push forward the boundaries of standard of care. So from the standard of care, we would like to um, to change it and to move forward and to create something new. Because, I mean, we do believe that with MR Guided, you can um, treat differently. So uh, as Chihan will probably talk about it later, um, we want protocols that again, push the boundaries and improve um, what's today's clinical standard. So is it more led by kind of the members? So can someone come up with a hypothesis and bring it to you or would it be more led by you? 
only led by the members, basically. So anyone from the consortium can come up uh, to me and propose the idea. What we usually suggest is to uh, the, the consortium is divided into uh, tumor site groups, so based off of uh, personal interests like rectum group uh, or lung group, breast group. So based off of anyone's interest, everyone can join uh, the group, and this group is usually led by someone. So anyone with the idea should go to their leader and discuss it. To, with the group in general, they can they can come directly to me, so no problem with that. But just because I mean we all have many ideas, it's just better to go to each group, discuss it, maybe nurture it and make it wider, and then propose it to uh, to me uh, and to Electa. Um, and this is how it went for HTP two. We have now two HTPs ongoing. Um, so we had four proposals, all these four proposals were uh, discussed within the groups and then brought to, to me and discussed to, um, with everyone. Veronica, something that I do quite a lot of is collaborative work, especially working on projects. How do you coordinate everyone? Because I would imagine every clinical oncologist, every radiation oncologist, every radiation therapist, dosimetrist, physicist has input and maybe has ideas. How do you kind of coordinate all of that amazing passion into something that essentially is then going to be produced and, and shared amongst Europe and the world um, into something feasible and protocol driven? Um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, again, that is part of my learning curve. Um, but um, but yeah, the um, I'm I'm really thankful that the people that I work with, the PIs of the of these two studies, are really collaborative, patient. They um, also have this uh, web of um, knowledge to help me out. The idea is to have um, two write-ons, one physicist as PI of each project, and I of course coordinate them, but they too coordinate um, and maybe share the idea, nurture it, and um, and help me out with that. So it's not a um, one-person effort, but it's a uh, multi-person effort. So we love acronyms in oncology, healthcare. What is the MARS acronym? Yeah, I have to say that it took us quite some time until we had the acronym. So the first couple of weeks of our energy went into the acronym. Okay, we also did some other <laughs> work that, but we talked a lot about the acronym and we wanted it to be short, international and easy to remember also for, for elderly patients who are not uh, fluent in English. And we, we came up with MARS at some point, which stands for MR, uh, Guided Adaptive Radiotherapy for Rectal Sparing. So it uh, might have been easier if we would have written it down for the audience. But uh, believe me, there is an M, there is an A, there is an R and there is an S in it. And um, yeah, that was the acronym that we all agreed on at the end. And within the Mars kind of trial, what is it that you've been looking into? 
So the proposal that we made for the HTP2 uh, program was about um, the topic of organ preservation and rectal cancer. So um, this has been a really hot topic in radiotherapy and oncology in general um, over the last uh, 10, 12, 13 years. And it is about the question how we can um, achieve that patients can be cured of uh, rectal cancer without the need of uh, surgery. And we, we often talk about patients who need a colostomy when they need surgery. Of course, they really benefit a lot if they can uh, keep their sphincter organ and uh, maintain quality of life. But um, it's also about patients who can have uh, sphincter-sparing surgery, but they also often uh, suffer of something called Lars syndrome, low anterior resection syndrome, which is um, associated with impairment of quality of life. They have to go to the, to the washroom very often, have diarrhea, and it's, it's um, uh, quite challenging uh, for many patients. Um, st statistics studies say that around 60% have uh, so-called major Lars syndrome. And there were different strategies in the past how we can achieve that patients after radiotherapy have a clinical complete response so that there's no uh, visible tumor left in the rectum and the patients can skip surgery in favor of, um, let's call it active surveillance, so close follow-up with MRI endoscopy. But with standard treatments like chemo-RAD as we know it, 50 gray and 5-FU, the clinical complete rates, depending on the tumor stage, were, were like 15-20%. And um, there have been really big breakthroughs in multimodality treatment. Um, one was total new adrenal therapy where uh, consolidative chemotherapy is added after radiotherapy. So we saw an increase of um, complete remission rates up to around 40%. But for me as a radiation oncologist, the question was how can we locally intensify treatment, maintain excellent quality of life and have very high clinical complete response rates. And there the, the MR-Linac came into the game for us and we worked really a lot about uh, on the topic um, how to give high doses to the rectum and increasing clinical complete response rates. And we developed a workflow um, in tubing and together with the MR-Linac consortium where we can give these very high doses to the rectum and achieve very high clinical complete response rates and have a large number of patients um, be cured without um, the need of surgery. Did you find that actually convincing surgeons to forego the surgery and rely on radiation alone was something that was challenging or did they see the results and think absolutely this is the way we need to go? That is a very important question and a question that we talk uh, that I am asked about quite quite frequently. Um, I want to point out that this entire organ preservation story was actually started by surgeons worldwide. So um, you, you, you would assume that radiation oncologists started it, uh, implementing definitive radiotherapy, but no, it was uh, surgeons in the Netherlands, in Brazil, um, in the US, who really brought this topic forward. And um, it was rather that surgeons had to convince radiation oncologists to develop um, new modern treatments that uh, are well tolerated and have uh, high complete response rates. And uh, so I consider this a partnership between surgeons and, and radiation oncologists. And w there is 
one thing we always have to keep in mind, we're now talking about avoiding surgery, but we also have to question whether we need uh, radiotherapy in all uh, rectal tumors or other tumor sites, because we know that um, with, with let's, uh, minimally invasive surgery, etc., many patients can also be cured with very, very high uh, cure rates and low recurrence rate without radiotherapy. So in the MDTs, um, it used to be very easy 10 years ago. It was always chemo rad surgery, chemo, and uh, now now we discuss every case on the basis, do, does this patient really need um, all puzzle pieces of multimodality treatment? Does this patient necessarily need radiotherapy? Does he need chemo? Does he need surgery? And we are, after like four decades of intensifying treatment in rectal cancer, we're now uh, rather wondering who can we de-escalate? And um, every discipline is involved here. Compared to a external beam radiotherapy plan how different is an mr linac plan for this area to produce so the workflow is different um if we do um a standard radiotherapy fraction on a normal c-arm linac um, you prepare the plan up front and you put the patient on the table uh, you do a comb beam and you irradiate um, without any adjustment to the to the plan. Now the great advantage here is it's fast. It's just a couple of few minutes. If you don't do a comb beam, you're done in two minutes maybe. Um, otherwise, in our department, we have uh, 10 to 15 minute slots for our patients, and and you're through. Now the disadvantage is that if your tumor is moving or um, if your tumor is shrinking, um, you're unlikely to see this. And um, since you cannot see it, you need rather big margins uh, for your planning target volume. And um, this uh, has two implications. One is um, you either uh, have to lower the dose you can give to your tumor because you don't want too much toxicity, or you have to accept um, a higher uh, likelihood for toxicity if you want to give a very high dose to your primary tumor. So on the MR-LINAC, the workflow is different. You put the patient on the table, you do an MRI, not a CT, and especially in the rectum, MRI has huge advantages over, over not even comb beam, but even a normal <laughs> CT imaging. So you can see the tumor, and what we then do is uh, we segment, uh, we call it segment, so it's, it's like painting by numbers. You um, delineate uh, your tumor, your rectum, the bladder, and then based on this um, delineations, your plan is then re-optimized, recalculated to have a perfect dose distribution for that given day, for that given fraction. And we do that during every fraction on the MR-LINAC, which has the advantage if the tumor is shrinking and they can shrink uh, considerably, uh, even at like two or three weeks, they can already have half the size. You only irradiate half the volume, which allows us to give these high doses and, and spare a lot of the healthy tissue um, around the rectum. Of course, this takes longer, um, uh, but um, we, we found that uh, still uh, we're in the range of around 20, 22 minutes per fraction, which is, in my eyes, uh, considering what, what benefits we have, uh, very acceptable. Ask a question. Um, it kind of comes around to radiobiology, but in the UK we have the weekends off, and obviously the weekends are really important because of the fact that you need to maintain the equipment, you need to do the research that needs to be undertaken, the quality assurances. But from a radiobiology perspective, should we be operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week? 
it's the same here um, um, over over the sea. Um, so we also routinely operate Monday to Friday. Of course, if there is an emergency, we, we irradiate on Saturdays as well. But um, uh, that's actually a very, very relevant point because we were wondering... Or let me explain differently. We 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 are giving an extra dose on the MR Linux, so the patients also receive the standard. Uh, we've been known for we've known for for many years now. 50 50.4 gray in five weeks and capecitabine chemotherapy, and uh, we wanted to give an extra dose um, as a six fraction per week. And there were different options here. One would have been to do it on a Saturday. Uh, we didn't go for that. We went to. In our department, it turned out to be to be Fridays. It could be any other day as well, but we do uh, give a, the boost dose as a six fraction, six hours apart from the from the uh, standard treatment, and this has turned out to be to be quite feasible. So the patients who do have uh, dose escalation treatment on the MLINAC, they're irradiated uh, early, either on the normal LINAC or on the MLINAC, and then six hours later. Um, um, the second fraction that day. And that uh, turned out to be very feasible. In terms of the MR Linac Consortium, why is it so important to drive change within this field? Um, I think, I mean, when I joined Electa, I knew about the consortium, uh, but um, I actually never worked or went to a consortium meeting. What is incredible, I think, and what pushes uh, the boundaries and also what I think in, will improve the field is that um, you have many brilliant minds working together and they are willing to do it, which is not as, um, which isn't a given. Uh, they enjoy themselves, so uh, we meet together, uh, we meet different radiation oncologists mainly, but also physicists, RTTs, um, from different countries and different so realities um, with different backgrounds. And with this, then uh, they talk, they discuss, they um, sometimes argue, but um in a um in a in a group of people i mean they they are a group of brilliant minds at work and it's um especially at the consortium meeting uh so when they meet there so they when they uh, don't have to go to the clinic um we have many interactions also in you know, between uh, between presentations with coffees or dinners. So um, we tend always to talk about radiation oncology, which probably is a bit boring for some, but very interesting for others. Um, and that is something that is really unique. Everybody has a machine and they have it because they um, believed in it. And uh, the really, the really, re the, the main reason why is to improve the patient's care. So uh, to have the opportunity to have these incredible web and uh, meeting of people, I think it's it's really unique. And um, and yeah, so I was pretty amazed when my I when I went to my first consortium meeting because. 
you know it and you are used to congresses but it's not like that congresses are much wider um, there is of course the same goal but even focused congresses so maybe if you go to a um, GU focused congresses so genital urinary or gastroenteric um, but with this it's just like we know that we have started something really new that wasn't there uh, 20 years ago and that um, we are part of the creation of a new radiation oncology path. So, uh, I mean, not me personally, but everybody that is in the consortium feels this way, I think. What do you hope to see from the consortium coming up? <laughs> many things um i love listening to them and to their ideas so um i think i mean now we are working on htp1 and htp2 but in the background i'm also working uh on the htp3 so um i would like um to listen to these new ideas that come up to um and how these people and how these uh, doctors use the um, improvement and that Unity has. Uh, so uh, in terms of software, in terms of hardware, mainly software, of course. Uh, so how they will use it and um, what can we do, what we can do with them. So um, basically, I'm waiting for them for their ideas. Can you tell us a little bit about what research is coming up and what the future holds for you and what you're involved in? So one is, of course, uh, the MOS trial. So we're at, an, at a very early stage right now. Um, we're developing the pro protocol. And if I can, can uh, confirm and add to what uh, Veronica just said, the tumor site groups in the MR-LINAC consortium, they're really highly valuable for us because... Um, we realized, uh, for instance, that standards vary across the world. And uh, I was very enthusiastic and presented my, my first idea saying we will randomize two different doses for, for dose escalation. And uh, at the end, we have a new standard. So we realized that um, uh, in that discussion, um, the preferences worldwide uh, vary highly about the study design. So for us in Germany, for instance, uh, dose escalation will be likely in the new new guidelines in the national guidelines so um, randomizing against no desk uh, those escalation was, was not um, an issue for me so I was considering randomizing uh, two doses but um, we realized in the in the very fruitful discussions in the consortium that in other countries the randomization should rather be no dose escalation versus one level of dose escalation and um, the these interactions in the consortium make sure and allow us to to design the trial in a way that it can be conducted uh, really across the globe and then provide a result that uh, can be um, accepted and implemented by, by all sites. And so this is one focus, so to, to run clinical trials and to generate evidence um, um, about the, the benefits of MR-guided radiotherapy. And if we look a bit further, um, we also work hard on um, not only using the, the anatomical imaging um, but also something called functional imaging where we can use different uh, MRI sequences 
that don't only tell us about the geography of, of the patient, but also about the functioning of the organs. So you can, uh, for instance, um, quantify different uh, imaging parameters, and these can be uh, prognostic and uh, tell us about um, the likelihood of having a tumor controlled or not, and also giving us the opportunity to react during treatment and to, to uh, use um, this feature of, of uh, MR imaging as well and not only the um, um, anatomical imaging. So there's really huge potential still um, uh, to be to be digged out. Are there any challenges that, with recruitment for these sort of trials? Well, I have to say that it's quite easy to find patients for organ preservation trials because, I mean, they, they immediately see and understand why they're doing this trial, what the, what the potential for them is, and... Um, so we we had a couple of trials in organ preservation so far, and they were always on time uh, done with their recruitment. Um, so it it is um, rather uh, well. <laughs> if you ask me in two years again, <laughs> I might say something different. But but um, organ preservation is is uh, are, these are trials that generally recruit quite well. It's a good name for a trial, isn't it? When you go to a patient and go, do you want to take part in organ preservation? I think anyone who hears that would be, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Jihan, do you ever find that actually getting de a wide demographic of patients is difficult? Um, that is also a point that is getting more and more important. Um, if we look at the data we have so far, we have quite a good distribution, good balance between male and female, and also uh, a very broad uh, age range. Um, we have uh, treated um, 18 patients, or we did a first analysis after 18 patients we treated with the method I mentioned before on the MR-LINAC, and the age range is like from, uh, I think the youngest was, was in his early 40s, and uh, the oldest was 84. And of course, this is relevant because... Um, you're still doing chemoradiotherapy and uh, you want to make sure that it's well tolerated and we were quite happy with what we saw. I uh, was not too concerned about the younger patients because um, they were very fit, but uh, the oldest was, I think, 84 or even 85 and he also tolerated the treatment uh, very well. So yes, that's a Im very important point. Veronica, we're coming towards the end of the episode. We always like to end our podcast with top tips. What do you have for our listeners to take away? Um, I think, uh, well, um, mainly what I do think right now about radiation oncology is that we are probably at a turning point. Uh, as radons, um, I think medical oncology started years ago uh, in improving a lot uh, all treatments, main, doing what is now called uh, patient-focused treatment. Um, we started later, probably because technology uh, we needed, we need, and we needed technology. So um, it take, uh, it took a little bit longer. But now, um, also, I mean, the radiation oncology world is becoming uh, much more uh, personalized. So um, I think that these coming years, uh, so in the very short term, um, the personalization of treatment will really improve both treatment, so outcomes, and quality of life. 
um, we are at the very beginning of this, I think, pretty long process. Uh, we are understanding the biology. We have, as uh, Chihan mentioned, all the biomarkers that we now start to understand uh, what their meaning, what their mean is. So uh, again, it's not it's not right now, but we are be beginning this process. The Mars uh, trial, for example, has uh, also will include some biomarker studies. Um, so it's it's an exciting moment to be part of this world, I think, um, because I see I see as um, I see it changing in in a very short while. And Jehan, do you have any? top tips for us yeah so we we uh, oncology in general was very unidimensional for a long time it was a lot about survival and recurrence and uh, the other dimension um, quality of life is getting more and more important and also shared decision making with the patient so the patient is getting more and more in the focus what he was before but but um, now it's even more and even more important to um, as I mentioned before already, not to do everything we can, but rather to discuss um, what is the goal of the treatment. We do have patients who don't want organ preservation, for instance, because they say, no, I want everything that can be done right now. And uh, if it's reasonable, we do it. But uh, we really have to consider quality of life uh, even stronger than we did before. And to do that, we, we sometimes uh, need to think outside the box and, and be courageous and, and develop new treatments have new ideas and um, as said before for this for instance the platform of the of the consortium is, is fantastic and led to so many uh, great ideas that would not be there if without the consortium maybe perfect thank you so much both for coming on giving up your time to be with us it's been really insightful thanks for having us thank you thank you thank you very much so thank you all for listening to rad chat your hosts today have been namanjok anderson and joe mcnamara if you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature we've discussed. To receive your credited CPD certificate, please complete the form linked with the podcast. Make sure you check out all the wonderful social media and thank you for listening to a wonderful series um, to showcase the world of MR-guided radiotherapy. Thank you and take care. Mm -hmm.